Welcome to the future of email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge podcast on the future of email. Let's go. Good morning and good evening for my guest, Jenna Tiffany from Let's Talk Strategy. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email Marketing, and my guest, as I already said, is Jenna Tiffany. Jenna, hi. You're talking to me from where? I'm actually in Lisbon, Portugal. Nice. I've not been there. A sunny place in Europe, Uh, much sunnier (laughs) and warmer than London, I'm told, on a regular basis. (laughs) Has Has it been a bit rainy, drippy this season in London? Uh, yeah, from what my family have told me, it's pretty wet. It's a pretty wet May, although actually it's been pretty wet here as well, um, for the season. So how long, a little how bit long more you, rain than normal. How long your stay, how long so far in Portugal for you? I've been here now throughout the whole of the pandemic. So pretty much oh, have you? <laughs> 15 months. <laughs> wow. Okay. I did not realize that somehow I was, I was thinking, cause you're, you know, you're sort of your brand, if you will. Uh, I was thinking you were still in in the UK, but uh, wow! How is Portugal faring? We'll get onto email and marketing in a second. But how's how how's the how's the country faring in terms of lockdowns and so on? Yeah, they um, yeah, pretty well. Um, we kind of we came out. So normally, what I would do outside COVID times is spend six months in London, six months in Portugal, mm-hmm. and I normally travel quite a lot across Europe in the states. Uh, speaking and meeting clients and things. Obviously, COVID then hit. We we stayed in Portugal and was quite a strict lockdown for was it? the best part of the year, really. Um, and you couldn't leave your local village. You couldn't. Um, there wow. were some uh, instances where you had a rule not to leave your house unless it was really essential. Um, and it's still fairly strict now where you need to wear a mask everywhere um, and that's written into law and you need to wear a mask on the beach, for example, and things like that. Um, But things are opening up and there's a little bit more optimism. Um, I think the only challenge here in comparison to England is that Europe is very far behind in the vaccine program and that's holding back a lot of things. Whereas England is really far ahead and all my friends are getting their vaccines and I'm just sitting here waiting. (laughs) You're you're, you're waiting, not vaccinated yet, huh? Yeah, still waiting. Yeah. So maybe June, July is the current timeline for my age group. Okay. Well, I, uh, we, we, we went from diddling around to catching up on that surprisingly rapidly. Thank you, Joe, uh, in the U S and I actually ended up, I ended up vaccinated, although many of my friends were a month or two ahead of me, just, just age or profession brackets. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, I gotta tell you, not everybody's immediately like, great, I'm vaccinated back out on the street. The, um, the psychological, readjustments are much more complicated than, than 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 just it's flu season now it's not kind of sensation that makes sense yeah it does it's interesting that you say that actually because i was having a chat with someone today and it was their first time they'd gone into central london 
Uh-huh. And they said they felt really apprehensive getting on public transport, yeah. being around people again, and the whole yeah. situation just felt really strange. Yeah. I think yeah. we'll all feel like that for quite some time. You know, it's quite a shock to the system, and it's quite a shock mentally to be so confined to then yeah. Yeah. be let out again almost effectively. Yeah, yeah. and and uh sort of muscle habit of keeping distance or, you know, mask on the face kind of stuff. It's, it, it, it is going to be very, it's not going to be hard. It's, it's going to be different. We're not going to, we're not going to behave the same way a year from now that we did two years ago. I don't think. No. And it's funny how when initially putting a mask on felt really strange, whereas now it feels weird if you don't put one on and it's weird that adjustment but um we have some friends in New Zealand and life for them has not changed yeah yeah and I think that's so it's so strange so our headspace is in such a different place in comparison to those countries and that's really weird as well that's I think that you know when everybody can go back to traveling again that's gonna be a really weird really weird mix of people that have gone through this scenario and those that actually haven't had such a strict lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not, uh, we're, we're, we're a ways from that mix. Um, and we'll all be talking and writing about it for, I think years to come. My, my macro, and this is my clumsy pivot to talk about marketing and email more macro macro it does seem to me that we got our butts booted five six seven years at least forward in terms of adoption to digital change in the workplace change in the way we inform ourselves work play and a whole bunch of other stuff any thoughts on that yeah i think so i think i think there's a couple of things i think really like the not that the level of professionalism has changed, but I think that whole concept of, you know, we're dialing in from our houses, you get to see a more personal insight into somebody. That's true. I think the whole kind of polished off image and the, and the, the pressure to deliver on that, I think mm-hmm. has changed. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. I think, I, I think that makes, I think that opens a lot more opportunities for people and gives a lot more of a relaxed environment. And I think that's a, that's a nice that's a nice working culture to be in. Yeah. Um, I think the other part is it's given a lot of businesses, almost like you said, a kind of almost like a kick. (laughs) So for those that were maybe putting off those foundation settings, those were thinking our digital's not for me. I don't need it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's given a real kind of push to actually sort those problems out and be able to offer both. And whilst, yes, it's a real big challenge for those organizations that weren't ready to pivot as quickly as others, mm-hmm. it gives them now a massive opportunity to grow and develop and, and expand that further. And I think that's that's one of the good things to come out of the situation. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. I was reading that uh, at least one, one school system I was reading about in the U.S., one school system said we had a, we had a 10-year plan to start, you know, making classes available online. And we, we had to execute it in two weeks. <laughs> you know? And I'm thinking there's companies in, in about the same boat. Yeah, of course. Um, I also teach as well. And um, I've always taught online. Yeah. And I've taught online for nearly four years now. Uh-huh. But there were teachers that had never taught online wow. that had their children at home. Yeah. Didn't really have the setup. Yeah. And yeah 
we're trying to not only handle new technology, but also trying to, you know, change your lesson that is normally in person to being online, using a tool that you haven't used before with students mm -hmm. that also aren't really used to being teach taught online. Yes, yes. And yeah, that's, I mean, that was a big challenging area. I think there's a lot of scope though to make that experience much better. I think there's a big opportunity in education to actually improve that. Yeah. Um, and I've seen lots of conversations and lots of technology startups and I've actually worked with a few that are really trying to improve that experience for both the teacher and, and the student. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I think there's a, lot, a few industries where it's been really disruptive. Yeah, edu and edu education, certainly among the mix. Um, I actually come from a from a family of educators of like third or fourth generation. My siblings, uh, their husband, every, everybody's a teacher. Um, and they're, ex they're exhausted. I have to say right yeah. now, tail end headed into summer. They're just like, give me a break because <laughs> the, 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 the fatigue of that adaptation for not just them, but all of their students and the institution as a whole, it, it, I think it's been quite overwhelming. And those of us in the digital space, you probably worked more like this for years, right? This is not as new for you. That's how I feel. Yeah, I don't feel it's, feel it's been a major change professionally. It's been yeah. a major change communicating with family. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. just so much more screen time because we, we live and breathe this every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of my family don't. You know, they're not necessarily on their computers all the time, or right. now they are, but they weren't right. previously. Right, right, yeah. And then, you know, you're having FaceTime conversations in the evening and it feels like 24-7 you're, you're looking at a screen. <laughs> you're looking at a screen, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that screen fatigue is, is, a, is real. <laughs> my, uh, my, my wife works for the school system here. And, and last, last spring, so over a year ago, they did that, you know, that incredibly fast pivot. Um, okay, we got to do all of this on, pick your, you know, pick your platform, Zoom or whatever. And I remember in the first few weeks to a month as she started adapting to it, she was saying, I'm exhausted. Like, I'm just exhausted. And I've been at this long enough. And frankly, it's my, it's my field anyway, digital media. And I said, for one thing, you're looking at that little tiny Mac notebook screen. And all I did was put a big monitor on the desk and plug it. I said, Make the faces bigger and your fatigue's going to go down by at least a bit. I'm not saying it's going to be the same as being there. And, and it really, that alone made it, made a difference in her level of fatigue. But then you get 24 people in a meeting and they're all <laughs> postage stamp size and your brain is back there trying to sort out the facial cues and the body language and you're exhausted again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all end up with wall size monitors out of Arthur C. Clarke or something I, like that. I think we will, like where they've got this, the Star Trek and the huge, yeah. huge monitor screens. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'd, I'd, I'd hang one in my office here in a, in, in a heartbeat. Okay. So now let's actually pivot and talk about marketing. So congratulations. You just published a book. I did. Marketing yeah, Strategy. Yeah, marketing strategy. It was uh, it was a long road to get to publish stage. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I so, think you mentioned something like three years when I was when I was asking if you'd uh, if you'd be a guest, you know, and come and talk with me. Three years, and I'm more than that to think about it. Obviously, why did yeah, why did you start? True. What what got yeah, you going there? 
Great question. So it was three years from the initial idea and my, my passion for it and my driving force for it was because I feel that in the marketing industry, we have a real misconception and misunderstanding between the difference of strategy and tactics. Mm -hmm. And I see this in businesses. I see this in marketers. I see this in um, C-suite. I see this in students. And I just thought if I'm, if I'm really going to solve this problem or I really don't want to get frustrated with mm-hmm. having to constantly explain the difference mm-hmm. or see it being misrepresented, mm-hmm. then I need to do something about it. And the idea of the book was born. Okay. And that's kind of how it started. And then I was lucky enough to get a publisher on board. Wow. Um, yeah. And that adds a whole nother level of complexity. I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think my biggest kind of challenge with writing the book was to, I really wanted to create a strategy framework yes. that not only made it really simple to be able to create a strategy or review an existing strategy, but mm-hmm. also to be able to see that difference between a strategy and tactics. Okay. And that's the bit that I spent a lot of time on to try and get it into a, into a format that was practical could be used and could be remembered and um, for me I didn't want the book to be a stuffy textbook that's just shoved into a drawer and never used again yeah um, because we've all read those Um, I wanted it to be a practical handbook so that if a marketer is about to review a particular campaign they can go Mm -hmm. to a particular section of the book and there's lots of tasks and notes areas in there as well or if they're starting out from the beginning, it's like a clear structure of, okay, these are the steps I need to take mm-hmm. to get to where I want to get to. And yeah, that was that was my main stimulus, really, to solve that problem. So it's not going to be the same as reading the book. And my copy is lending its way from Amazon. And I've been reading some of the, you got some, you've got some rave reviews and some amazing testimonials before the reviews even start. So, so I'm, I'm really pumped to get it. But if, if you're if you're having a you know coffee conversation with a young marketer and trying to get them to think about the difference between strategy and tactics, how do you orient them to that split? Yeah, so the the simplest way really to put it is that the strategy is the who. So thinking about who you're who you're targeting your audience, and I think okay. that that typically is a piece that gets missed quite often. Okay. Um, but also thinking about the what, the where, the why of what you're sending and then when. So mm-hmm. when are you going to have those tactics running? When is the campaign going to launch? Your tactics is the how. That's implementing your strategy. They don't drive the strategy, but they implement it. So that tactics are really important because without them, you wouldn't activate your marketing. You wouldn't have your strategy actually live. Mm-hmm. But they shouldn't drive the strategic plan. And that's where there's a misunderstanding where tactics are chosen before we even think about the audience. We think about when we're going to send something, why we're sending it. Um, and that's all chosen too early on before we think about the actual strategic part of what why we're doing what we're doing and how we're going to do it okay okay so so cart 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 before the horse probably shiny shiny toy before (laughs) battle before uh playing field uh uh inversion uh do you take that as far back as um strategy who what when um should guide even choice of channel, you know, look for this audience, for this thing you're trying to get across. This may not be, email may not be, email, for example, may not be the best way to do that. 
Yeah, exactly. So okay. um, really starting with looking at what that wider scenario looks like, what that wider context looks like. So actually starting with what's our, what is the strengths of the business? Mm-hmm. What are our limitations? Mm-hmm. What can, can we or can we not do? There might be budget or resourcing limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then looking at the wider external context as well, because you might have objectives that actually are just really unachievable given what's happening outside of the organization, yet we never yeah. really assess that yeah. and normally gets missed. Um, and then thinking about the targets, so setting those objectives and making sure they're really clear, and then actually thinking about your audience. So who are they? Um, the number of times I sat in meetings and asked, who is your customer? Uh-huh. Well, we think that this person over here and, oh, I but actually I really like this. Maybe we should go down this route. We as marketers are not the customer. <laughs> right. We are so far removed from the customer. We're in our own, you know, we're, we have a completely different environment as marketers. So, um, and then thinking about the tactical part. So you have all these other pieces feeding in first before you even think about what channel you're going to use because mm-hmm. Like you've just said that, your audience might not even be using email. I'm sure they will be, but they might not be. Might not be. Um, right. Or it might be that actually you need to think about a, a wider mix mm-hmm. and not just focus everything in one area mm-hmm. and, and think about what that split's going to be across across the marketing channels. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm uh, Over the years in, in uh, reading way too many random samples of books, I, I've tracked – where the word strategy entered the business vocabulary, if memory serves, I think it was actually McKinsey that, that sort of dragged it out of the military domain and, and moved, it in, moved it into the business domain. And it's used widely, but awfully fuzzily. And I'm guessing you had to grapple with that. And that was some of the work of the book in sorting out for marketing specifically, you know, what do we mean strategy? Because it's easy to say, but if you don't, if, if you don't have some structure behind the word, it's just a buzzword, and obviously, obviously, it's not for you. You've got some. You've got some. Here, I'll, I'll read. I'll read one of the compliments. This book is a must for anyone needing to develop marketing strategies for their firms. Like that's a quote from an from an Amazon review. Five stars. Uh, I'll. I'm using it in all five of my MBA and capstone classes starting this fall. Said one of your reviewers on Amazon. Yeah, so okay, you you amazing. you clearly helped them sort that out a bunch. Um, one of the things about a book is it's uh, it's a grind. It's not something you do in a day. <laughs> no. No. T- I underestimated entirely. <laughs> What's that? I completely underestimated the amount of time. Yeah, needed. and work and discipline. Yeah. <laughs> so when did you when did you write in the, in in your in your daily or weekly routine? When did you work on the book? Yeah, so for me, it was mainly weekends. You know, I, I run an agency. I, yeah. I have clients, man's, I've got a team. Um, I can't just take days out writing a book. So, yeah, um, yeah for me, it was weekends and some evenings. Uh-huh. Um, and there might be some times when you're sat in a meeting and you think, Do you know what, actually, yeah, this would be a brilliant example. And you take right. a note. And I try right. to get good at, note taking i took lots of voice notes i found that that really helped me so i could do something like i could be outside and not have to be typing mm-hmm. um and sp- spend time in the garden with the dogs and be dictating 
um, on my phone. I found that really useful. Um, that was a good split because, you know, when it's the weekend, you've been on your laptop all week. It's the last thing you want to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> You're then typing away more on your laptop. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did that. And I spent a lot of time in my hammock, just music in, mm-hmm. just taking notes uh-huh. and um really researching thinking about things i did lots of interviews and case studies with other people as well because i thought it was really important to get lots of voices into the book so it's not just my opinion on strategy but actually this is what other marketeers other business owners are also saying that the challenges are this is how you overcome them this is their experience Uh and so i have a lot of that feeding into the book as well and uh in the book i talk about the 10 common pitfalls at the end oh nice are most likely business owners or marketers will fall into or experience or try to avoid <laughs> so they don't actually go through that pain. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the writing process was a real, it was a real challenge. Mm-hmm. You kind of go through a bit of a roller coaster where you start and you think, this is brilliant. Yes, I can do this. I'm really excited. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to chunk it all down. And I had a, I had a like minimum word limit from there. Um, editors yeah, from the yeah. publishers and a max an absolute maximum oh, and did you? Wow. I had to sit within within that yeah and so I broke that down and I, I tried to think about how many words I'd need to write within a time frame yeah so then I had like a clear structure otherwise uh-huh. you kind of just float along a little bit <laughs> <in> <laughs> yeah. Way. yeah yeah um but then it gets to a point where you you kind of get halfway through and you think okay, I'm not sure I'm going to finish this. Like, I'm not sure I can actually do this anymore. <laughs> and maybe this was too much. What was I thinking? You go through this whole like self-doubt yeah. process. Yeah. And then you kind of go over that and you think, you know what? I'm like 70% of the way through. I've actually like written all of this. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And you get feedback from the publishers, the editors proofread it. They come back to you with comments. Yeah. And um, I was lucky that they didn't hate it so i was like okay that's good because you worry uh-huh. that you're gonna send something and they say what on earth is this <laughs> <laughs> and you have lots of deadlines with them as well to keep you on your toes oh that's how that helps right yeah that helps to, for that extra pressure yeah 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 <laughs> and then you kind of get to the end and the worst part for me was putting all the references in having all the separate tables yes. numbering all of that yeah um, that was the worst bit for me because it's like you feel like you're done then, and, and yeah, and then you've got to go back through it almost all over again, almost line for line to find all that stuff, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right at the end of the process is the last thing you want to be doing. So yeah, that was kind of right up to the wire that, and then it goes through proofing, and then you, and then you feel like okay, I've I've done it, and then it's quite a long time period between finishing it and getting it printed because you you um, just you just hit the stands like, within the last week or two right yeah so it uh launched in the states yesterday was in yesterday. the uk on on the fifth or uk yeah. and europe on the fifth yeah so it's only been out a couple of weeks and you you get a little bit i'm like really pleased to see the reviews because you put it out there and then you think oh god imagine if everybody hates yeah. it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you are you are definitely putting something out in the world that's got a big pcu in it yeah. name attached and that takes uh that takes some bravery jumping off the board and, and yeah it does yeah i don't think i really thought about that until 
now I get reviews back. But I guess I, for me, it was if I don't do something about this, I'll be forever frustrated. So at least right. now I can say, right, I've, I've tried. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it is um, to actually see the book and have it in your hands is quite. I was going to ask you about that. Kind of yeah. a thrill. Yeah, it's kind of strange. I think because it's been such a long process and also because the book was actually finished, the content was finished November, December. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a long time between then and now getting that actually yeah. launched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's kind of weird to see it and you think, I've actually written this. <laughs> <laughs> I've done this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, yeah, that's good for you. And a, a book, in contrast to you know, blog post articles, et cetera, you, you've got to do all of that work and then wait that span of time. And then you'll start hearing back. There's none of this. There, there's a, there's a series of books that I, that I started into. Actually, my, my son's read it as well. And I liked the first few a lot, the Temeraire books. And then they started getting kind of, kind of flabby and kind of like, what happened to the charm? And I read about the author's process and sorry, this is my rant. She started asking her readers and fans for feedback on where she should take it next. And I was like, write the book. Don't ask them, right? J.K. Rowling didn't say, gee, what do you think? She wrote the books. And now we read them. And now we discover. Yeah. And now we go, wow, you set that up so well um, that that only when you have to get it done, when you've got deadlines and you don't have that feedback loop where you can say someone else can make this tough decision for me. I, I think that's probably where some of the real sparks come. How do I get this across? How do I formulate this? Yeah, I had um, I had a few people review yeah. the book in early draft stage and then a little bit later on to get mm-hmm. their feedback. But you have to you have to have a really clear idea in your mind of, of what you want that book yes. to do, what you want it to look like and how you want it to sound yeah. because everybody has their own opinion yeah. and it might not necessarily be in the direction that you want it to be in. Yep. And that's the same when you have publishers, they will have, you know, they come with brilliant insight and experience. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. Right. I didn't agree with everything that they said, <laughs> um, much to probably their frustration. Yeah. But that, that's the point of it, right? You're bringing your own flavor to something, your own personality. Yeah. And if everybody just went along with what everybody else thought, then they'd all be the same. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of, you have to have like that clear outline at the beginning of this is how this is what I want it to be like uh-huh. and be really strict with that because it could have my book very easily could have gone down a very academic route and been very dry text yeah. stuffy yeah. and even in the language it could have been yeah. like that and yeah. I really wanted to avoid that so I had to be really quite strict with not only myself but the publishers any feedback you know really think about okay is that is that actually how I want this book to be and be yep. represented yep. or is it not? Yeah. And, and how, how do you feel this stage, you know, this point in time book in hand, how do you, how do you feel about it? You know, versus your vision and, and drive starting three years ago. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy with it. I think I've, I've set out what I wanted to achieve. Okay. 
And it's funny because I had, <laughs> there must have been about 15 iterations of the front cover. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, to the point where I think the publishers were just, you know, you need to just pick one. <laughs> and I was really just adamant about what yeah. I wanted. Yeah, yeah. Um, not to be not to try and challenge that or anything but it's had such a clear idea in my mind yeah, yeah. in terms of color and everything oh good and i think you know we got to a place where actually i was like yeah this is exactly what i meant this is what okay. i want yeah. it to look like and i feel like that all the way through the content of the book as well yeah good. um yeah i'm really happy with it the question i keep getting asked is when's the next one and honestly wow. You're it's like, I want a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, I'm, I'm curious. I, uh, I'm curious about the writing process a little bit um, in that, you know, we're, we're in the digital age. Everyone's got a screen in front of them. We're all sitting in front of the screens, as you said earlier, all the time. And it's somewhat natural to think in terms of firing up, filling in the blanks, editor and writing in there. But not everybody wants to write with a word with a word processor of some sort and you just described audio work and, and audio notes you just described in sitting in a hammock which i'm guessing wasn't typing like like how the pieces come come together what uh what forms of of writing and recording work for what stages in the book yeah so i think for the early early stages of pulling together almost like the outline and the skeleton of what's going to be included. Mm -hmm. Voice was really good for that. Mm -hmm. And being able to then listen back and think, actually, we could have a case study there or we could have, I could have this person input here. Yep. Uh, I could expand here with more research, for example. Yep. And you have to be quite self-critical on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I was in my hammock, I did a mixture. So I did have my laptop. Okay. I also um, did a lot of printouts yep. so that I could read it as if I was the reader and then yeah. scribble all over yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that really quite useful. Um, I used a really good tool called Screever and yes. much better than than word for this type of project mm -hmm. and it was a good way to just break down the chapters and dip in and out and think about right i'm in this frame of mind today to focus on this topic in this chapter and i'm going to input and have some notes and and start there so for me i started with a an outline yeah and i didn't actually have the full structure of the book i actually changed it quite late on <laughs> <laughs> that's hard that's hard right yeah pull this together reform it uh wait a minute i gotta reword it because i didn't tell them about that reference yet right exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a nightmare changing that later on <laughs> yeah yeah but that was because i was i really wanted to break down the word strategy and have that as the framework and mm -hmm. i didn't nail that until late on and then i wanted oh, wow. each chapter to be to about that. each part of the strategy yeah so um yeah that took a bit of of maneuvering when you're trying to reference other chapters and mm -hmm. you're trying to link everything together and yep. um and just have that structure so yeah i did actually change that quite late on i was originally going to have eight chapters and i had 10 so wow um yeah but it's uh, i think it's worked out 
it was for the better i think as, yeah. as much as it was a challenge to do <laughs> it was for the better but you just <laughs> i think as you're working through it these ideas come to you mm-hmm. and you either flow with them mm-hmm. or you don't i think the challenge with when you're writing a book is it's it's um you want to flow with the new idea but that mm-hmm. means a lot more work <laughs> if you go with that idea yeah or or throwing out prior work right yeah. doing that painful you know revision rewrite thing and going well it's you know it's going to be better so i've got to go ahead and do it or you know now that i understand the thing i'll rewrite it essentially right yeah exactly and and you know you've got a lot of people involved when you're writing a book isn't just you on this lonely path Mm. Um, you know, I had editors, I had proofreaders, Mm -hmm. I had people inputting who were contributing in terms of interviews and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had people giving feedback and reviewing it and saying what they really thought and Mm -hmm. if there was anything they thought was missing or, and I had academic people, teachers review it as well and and see what they thought and they come with such a different perspective. It was really useful to have that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had lots of people feeding in and that in itself is a challenge to coordinate. (laughs) Right, right. right. And different opinions. And ultimately you still have to make the call yourself. It's your book. Yeah, exactly. And, and going back to my earlier point, you just have to be really clear on what you want it to to be. But aren't you writing a book? Did you say we started one? Yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, you know, the, the, the company I'm focusing most of my time on right now, Campaign Genius, um, is, is, you know, is is a platform to bring the real time component of email that's been there for twenty years um, to life and make it useful. And I concluded that even very experienced email folks haven't the slightest damn clue how it all works. Um, like they just don't. It's just not in the. It's not in the wheelhouse. It's not in the mindset. It's not in the mental model. So I'm uh, I'm a good number of pages in that to that up and down <laughs> journey yeah. that you described you know i was thinking about as you were talking about the writing process and the number of people you had to corral um you know a decade ago uh i launched a business with a partner we were one of the we were the second or third maybe company in the world to start doing what everybody now calls explainer videos no one was you know, like no one was doing this stuff and we launched this company and so we're doing we're doing projects for clients akin to agency work, right? It really was a specialized agency. And so there was a, a, a you know, writing, directing, editing, visuals process that did involve other people. And as we went along with it, doing more of it and trying to get better at it, I became, <laughs> it became increasingly kind of a, a hard-nosed pain in the butt. <laughs> uh, I got to the point where script drafts Back to the, you know, back to the client. Client's paying for it, right? A lot of money. Here's the script draft. It's a PDF. Oh, we want the Word doc. Nah, you don't get the Word doc. Because one, your legal guys are all frustrated writers. They'll want to they'll want to weigh in on it. And none of you know how to write dialogue worth a damn. So I don't care if you don't like the way it's worded. If I miss the point, that's a different issue. But I don't want you writing the dialogue because you don't know how to do it. And, <laughs> and I'm perfectly happy being hard-nosed about it. Like, hey, that's what you, you know, that's what you're paying the studio to do. If I if I'm nice and you get this, you know, kind of vague thing at the end, you're not going to be happy, and I'm certainly not going to be happy. So. That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 I mean, you have to stay the director of the show. Mm-hmm. I think. And ultimately, you have to say, I'm responsible for making the call 
whether this point stays in, whether that structure stays in, whether that paragraph, you know, stays as is. Thanks for the input. It's my name on the cover. So I'll, yeah. I'll run with what I think, right? Yeah, totally. You have to be yeah. really strict with that. Yeah. You really do. And clear, and clear, probably clear with yourself, which is not easy either. Because there's a natural tendency to want, you know, oh, well, I respect so-and-so. And they said, gee, it should be this way. So maybe I should change it. Mm, no, <laughs> right? not so much. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, there are, you kind of have to, you have to really like fight with yourself a little bit on that, I think. And be really decisive because you can't, you don't have, Infinite I guess time. you don't really have the opportunity to then backtrack so much. Print. So like once you make a decision, that's it. You move on and. Yeah. Yeah, and this is how it's going to move forward. And you think about think about the difference in in the writing process now in the digital age versus paper. You know, Tennessee Williams, Eugene O'Neill, sorry, theater background. You know, those guys are banging out stuff on or typewriter and pencils on a pad, respectively. Changing a character name was a lot of work. Yeah, and for me, it's like search replace done next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But it also means when your stuff's in digital form, once you get it, if you get it to digital form, which I guess everybody does eventually now, that means you can keep screwing around with it ad infinitum. Look, I just want to go rewrite this one more time. Ah, right? That's Death. Yeah, that's never a finished version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You have and to you- fight with yourself about that. You really yes. do. Yes. Because, you know, my... My book doesn't include Clubhouse, for example, as a right. social doesn't. media tactic. Yeah. No, because that only came out last month and the book was already done. So um, hmm. there's that what challenge. You, what do you think about Clubhouse as a marketer, a marketing expert? <laughs> yeah, I found it really interesting, actually, just watching the flock flock to Clubhouse <laughs> and see where it is now today. Yeah. And... I like to kind of sit back and just observe. I'm really, um, yeah, I'm a strategist at heart, so I really like to see what people's perception and reactions are. Mm-hmm. And I follow a lot of marketers on, on Twitter, and there's a lot of discussion saying, you know, and I thought it was a very good point, that Clubhouse is more of a feature than mm-hmm. it is an individual platform. And you have Twitter spaces. I have Facebook are also starting to do something. Um, and Instagram, we've got Instagram stories, which is fairly similar, but you obviously can't do that for as long a time period as you can on Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. So really as Clubhouse just paved the way that actually now people really like to have this live interaction, just mm-hmm. voice only, mm-hmm. and do it on all the existing social media platforms, mm-hmm. potentially. Start, start, start. So audio akin to clubhouse you expect to see in other places. And I know it's happening already. Twitter's got their, you know, let's call it a knockoff uh, if you want, but it's showing up other places. <laughs> yeah. That's your point about a feature, right? Yeah. I think it is more of a feature. I think it was a really good point. And I can't, um, I can't remember who said it. And I so I can't credit them, but I thought it was a really, really good, a really good observation, a really good point. It is more of a feature. And it was very interesting that, that Clubhouse decided to only open it up to Apple users to begin with. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting call. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, more than a few people I talked with who don't happen to be Apple guys were like, yeah, not going, right, can't go there, not going to go there. Yeah, which is, 
it's an interesting place to start. And I think the other part with it, which I find really fascinating, is just the investment and the valuation given to that piece of technology so early on. Yeah, so early on. And then when you look at it now and its users are just are dropping off a cliff. Yeah. Is it a case that actually that investment is also very tactically driven? It's not very strategic. Yeah, I, I do. I do wonder. I mean, um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you weren't in the thick of things in the dot com boom. I, I was. I've got, I've got gray on the temples here, right? <laughs> and it looks even dumber now than then. Like <laughs> goofy, frothy money being thrown at asinine. Uh, there's no plan here. There's no strategy here. Yeah. It's just got some sizzle and you're going to throw, it's got what valuation? Oh man, this is dumb. This is not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Cause that's just something that has consistently happened. Yeah. Pre COVID yeah. and still yeah. happens now. Yeah. And yeah, you see, I mean, you see it every day and I've worked with some companies and it's unbelievable that, you know, their competitors have got investment. It really yeah. is. Like they don't even have a clear business plan or they yeah, don't, they don't have, have a clear business. Yeah. They just don't have anything. And you think, how on earth has this even happened? Yeah. Well, and it really, you know, that that uh, relatively, re- relatively ready availability of capital, capital makes for a goofy playing field because, you know, the guy armed with the guy armed with a you know big enough bag of sticks can run around hitting everybody without without worrying about paying for the sticks. And if you're competing with them, like uh, yeah, can't you're right? Can't afford to go there even if we've got a better widget or better thought through offering or whatever else. So um, it's going to kill some really potentially viable things because the inferior one was better funded. Yeah, which. You would think wasn't the case. I would have thought that would have been more sophisticated by now. And yeah. so I'm just, yeah, I was amazed at the evaluation of Clubhouse. I really was, how quick <laughs> and how soon on. And so, like, yeah. just watching the whole, the whole story of Clubhouse is an interesting one. And and marketers flocking to it yeah. without thinking about whether or not their audience would be there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, it was just like the strategy is not here. We've we've just literally chased after another shiny toy, yes. and another shiny tactic. Yeah, I would I would agree with that as well. I was intrigued, just intellectually intrigued, with the the core thesis of leaving a lot of things out, right? Like what voice only? No, like no visuals. It's a live conversation. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not recorded. Huh? It's like conversation. What a great idea. Who'd have thought? And uh, I was talking with Gene, Gene Jennings. So I'm sure he's a, a friend of yours as well. Gene actually got me a clubhouse uh, invite to talk about a, a project that we were both involved in, but she said, yeah, I've kind of dropped off, but, you know, so-and-so started on it and they spend hours a day on Clubhouse. And I'm like, wow, I don't think I could do that. I really don't no. think I could do that. <laughs> it's really not for me, I don't think. No. It really isn't. Right. Which is, I mean, that's that's a that's a personal preference thing. I, I guess one of the points I'm driving at there, specific to, to Clubhouse and the voice thing, is that the, the time commitment doesn't get shorten if you sign up to listen to a half an hour conversation you can't really skim that live conversation either you're there for the half an hour or you punch out early and you're not there and you miss whatever you you did versus 
written material, visual material, we're all guilty of it, right? Oh, yeah, I read that. No, you didn't. You just skimmed down the page, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 you skipped through, got the highlights, chapter headings, blah, blah, blah. And that, that deliberate push people into live conversation, audio only, is was refreshingly counter, even though mea culpa, like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have time and interest for, for what someone might or might not say for, for a half an hour, because a half an hour is pretty precious. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, we were talking earlier about an education, the educational industry. I think maybe that has an opportunity there for that type of setup. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. I mean, you look at you, you back away and look at education. We were talking about the, 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 you know, the push the pandemic gave to go online. You know, we had we had all we had alternative digital platforms for education. Um coming and going like fruit flies over the last decade, right? MOOCs. Um, and the cold hard fact was the completion rate was, biz- was, was dismal, right? People sign up for a course and they don't bother going through the course, right? People pay for a course and they don't bother finishing the course. Um, and same mechanisms, right? Video, audio, whatever else. So that, like, there's, there's more to it than just the content being there and accessible. And I yeah. don't know an answer beyond that, but I, but I, uh, but I think we'll have to keep experimenting with uh, um, the carrots and the sticks <laughs> involved. Well, it's it's not unlike reading a book, right? All right, someone's going to sit down with your book, and there's going to be a percentage of readers. I'm sure a high higher percentage of readers who finish it for yours, and there's going to be a percentage who're like, oh yeah, I didn't right get back to it, or I just skimmed yeah, it after heading. Yeah, yeah, that's human nature, isn't it? That's human that's nature. Just, yeah. And, you know, I've done that with lots of books. We all, have. we all have. Yeah, we all have. And I find it easier. I'm curious your take on this. Um, avid, avid, avid reader. Um, tons of ebooks, far prefer paper books. How about you? Yeah, I I do prefer a paper book, but I have because we couldn't, they actually stopped deliveries here during COVID. I had to go digital. You had to go digital, right? Yeah. yeah. So now I do read a lot more digital. <laughs> I prefer the physical book. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a funny text. Like I've got my Kindle account on, I don't know, forty-two devices, and I love the fact that the whole library is with me. Even if I walk out of the house with just my phone in my pocket, I'm like, yeah, I got you know a lot of books, um, but I don't finish them as much. It's the paper books. Yeah, no, I think because you know it's always there. Yeah, yeah. It's always accessible. There's yeah. no kind of prompt or urgency to read it. Whereas if it's like an actual physical book is sat in front of you, you think, oh, I'm going to pick that. I'm going to start reading that now. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. or if you're, you know, if you're guilty of putting it face down to mark your place, which I would never do, <laughs> the book <laughs> is sitting there saying, hey, you're not finished with me yet, right? Physical me, I'm sitting right here telling you, you're only halfway through, dummy. <laughs> yeah exactly and like we were saying before you know we spend a lot of time at screens so for me it was a good switch off to have that physical book and not yeah. look at a screen yeah, yeah 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 well so we've managed to go almost 45 minutes and not talk about email at all which is which is <laughs> <Yeah>. kind of rocking <laughs> in a way as you were working through you know strategy and and emails down there in the tactics bucket did you find yourself changing you're thinking about email substantially. No, 
Interesting. Expand on that. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I was going to leave that there. No. <laughs> no. I uh, no. I didn't. I because I always and my company. You know, it's called Let's Talk Strategy. We always come in at the strategic angle, mm-hmm. no matter what what channel the client is particularly looking at optimizing. We always want to know what are the objectives of the business, what are you trying to achieve here, who's your audience, and getting really like under the bonnet and and really understanding what's happening, what's doing audits and so on. Um, and in the book, I talk about four key areas of email. And the four key areas of focus, but I also talk about the history of the tactics as well, because mm-hmm. I feel that's a piece that we don't necessarily think about the history of SEO, the history of PR, the history of PPC, the history of email and where it's come from and where it is today. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot about that that you can take a lot of learnings from in terms of its adoption, how it's being used, but also the opportunities of what it, what else it could do. Yep. Um, based on that history piece. So I think for me, that was how I looked at tactics differently was to assess that and and really research and actually learn quite a lot myself there about the history of different tactics. Nice. Um, But I think the four four fundamentals of email remain the same and they are still in a sense strategic. You still need that strategic plan and the objectives before you can choose the channel. And even if you're looking at email, you still need to have that. So really thinking about, you know, how are you actually going to get your email seen in the first place? Mm -hmm. And there's so much that goes into that, like deliverability, Mm -hmm. um, you know, DMARC and so on. The not so sexy pieces that people don't really want to spend loads of time on, you know, are the core foundations of what you really need to do just mm-hmm. to get your email up and running in an effective way and actually going back and checking those things as well and making sure you have that process in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also thinking about, you know, how are you going to get your audience to even open your emails? Right. What is that value on what you're sending? Mm-hmm. Um, and really thinking about the audience there. Less about, okay, we've got this product to promote and sell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay well your customer might really love it they might not and you might have already sent this to them already so what what now what now can you say that's going to make them open that email engage with it yep um i'm thinking about the engagement piece and then also thinking about reporting which is a piece that i think is typically either you know email marketing teams are typically under resourced they lack time yeah so reporting is kind of done either really really quickly and there's no insights gleaned from it or it's not done at all and um you know there's a lot of insights that can come from that reporting piece to input into the next campaign that you send and the journeys that you're also sending yeah yeah i I, i'm curious your opinion on this because i'm just nodding my head if someone's listening to podcast i'm just nodding my head and going yep yep (laughs) write that down (laughs) um It seems to me from looking at the tools of the trade that email marketers are frequently either guilty of or trapped into using um, using that data that comes back in a fairly tactical way. I see a lot of metrics about campaigns, but I don't see a lot of metrics about people. And uh, back to your who, you know, who, what, when, you know, strategies like these, this percentage of folks 
really don't want to hear about this topic or they don't want right because they don't respond to it or they unsubscribe or whatever else but if you're just looking at campaign 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 metrics and and not grafting those back into your view of the customer how do you, how do you get out of that sort of tactical psych tactical only cycle and tactical only thinking yeah that's a real challenge i mean there's a couple of things that the culture of the business can have a big play there mm-hmm. Um, because if the marketing team are getting really pushed to deliver on sales repeatedly mm-hmm. each week, yeah, you know, um, we've all been there and that can be a real challenge to get out of that cycle. Yeah. And you have to have a culture in the business where they're open to taking some risk because there will, when you try to come out of that type of cycle, mm-hmm. there will be some fallout from that temporarily. Mm-hmm. And the business has to has to have the appetite for that, and most businesses don't. <laughs> they don't have that appetite, so it creates a real challenge for the marketing team to get out of that tactical cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, businesses that do have that culture and they do have that bit of appetite for change, yep. and they can see that there's an opportunity there to do things in a better way. Yeah. Then it gives the opportunity for the marketing team to be more strategic because most marketers actually want to be able to move away from the ad hoc rushing around. I'm sure, I'm sure. Every day something's changing and they want to go to the more structured and planned. Not to say that everything will be like that, right. but to have, you know, a bit of a bit of a more of a 70, 30 percent split of planned versus ad hoc rather than nice. you know 90 percent split of everything being ad hoc yeah constant gerbil wheel right um yeah and the team gets burnt out they get unmotivated you know they start to question why i'm even doing marketing it's just the same mm-hmm. you know it just it creates a real it creates a real negative environment and it just wears it burns out marketing teams Burn, burns really out. Quickly. and, and, and um, what i bet you've worked with a lot of email marketing teams a lot more than i have would i be correct in my guess that email marketers or the email team is sort of particularly subject to getting stuck on that hamster wheel? Yeah, I think so. I think historically and still a little bit today, email seen as and was very much used a couple of years ago for batch and blast repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And if we send an email, we will make some money. So let's just yeah, send another yeah, email. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it is, it's a cheap, it's a cheap channel in comparison to the other digital channels. Right. And it performs. Right. So um, there's there's that real kind of balance there to mm-hmm. actually see that yes, it might be a cheaper channel, but actually you're gonna you're gonna see a massive burn rate on your yeah. subscribers if yeah. you continue with that approach. Yeah. And we actually worked with a retailer that wanted to come out of this cycle of really? constantly sending sales messages. Yeah. 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 We used to send a sales message every other day. It was a lot. <laughs> wow. And they were trying to convince the board that, look, if we keep doing this, we're going to lose our subscribers. Yeah. We're going to not have the email marketing subscribers anymore. Yeah, yeah. And we conducted an analysis to see what was the engagement rate mm-hmm. from when they initially signed up, so we mm-hmm. could go back two years, to today, and then how many emails have they received between that? What did they look like? How many sales messages have they received? And then mm-hmm. what was that drop-off rate looking like in terms of engagement? Mm-hmm. And after um, six months of someone being subscribed, their engagement dropped by more than 50%. So if they yeah. continued for another six months, that person would be gone. Yeah, Probably lost them already from opening ever again <laughs> yeah. and engaging with their email. 
So there's a real, you know, once the board saw that, they were like, okay, yeah, we need to change this. Like we're going to lose everybody. And they could appreciate that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so you were able to rearticulate, it may be, it may be cheap in terms of one kind of cost, but if you treat your customer relationship as economic term externality, it's actually not cheap, right? Yeah. That burning burning through the list is going to cost you potentially everything. Whereas yeah. treating treating that relationship building as as the asset, as the more valuable piece of the equation, pays yeah, off better. Exactly, and you know, there's lots of conversations at the moment about if you know Facebook changed their rules tomorrow, you'd lose all those fans. Yes. <laughs> if email marketing changed its rules, you know you're in more control of that data. You, yeah. you have consent for that data and so on. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. businesses now are valued based on the engagement rate of their email subscribers, yeah. not the number of fans that they have on Facebook. Thank goodness. You know, so that in itself is a massive value asset to a business. Yeah, yeah. And that changes the whole conversation of how email is used in a company once the rest of the business view it in that way. Yeah, I think uh, I think the more marketing departments, uh, you know, re- read your book and take your advice. The <laughs> well, frankly, the more value they're going to, the more value they're going to get out of their marketing efforts, and and maybe the uh, slightly easier job, not easier, better job there email marketers would be able to do because they're thinking long-term and strategically, not just hamster wheel tactically. Yeah. It makes having that budget conversation, getting more resource, trying to get a new piece of technology much easier if you're aligned to what the business objectives are and you can actually demonstrate how email has contributed towards that. The challenge is that when you're very tactically driven and you haven't got that strategy, you can't do that and you can just show an open rate or well, to a business. Okay. Well, how much is that worth? Yeah. You know that you have to change that conversation, the language based on the stakeholders you're talking to, because the finance director is not going to care less how many people opened your email. Right. <laughs> They're right. going to want to know, okay, what is the value of, of a single email subscriber? What's their lifetime value? Right. How much yeah. do they bring to the business? What are they contributing? Yeah. And without that strategic element, that, that's missing entirely in that conversation. I think that's where, that's why email has typically been and what, what has actually prompted my interest to get involved in email in the first place. It's typically been the channel that's been delivering, but just hidden in the corner. Right. And yeah. not the one that's been center stage like PPC and SEO and handle yeah. that budget. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because those, that type of information is missing from those conversations. Mm. Well, that's a good, that's a really, it's a really good perspective. So if there's an, you know, hardworking email marketing team listening on saying, okay, how do we change this inside our company? What kind of advice do you have for them? Keep going. Number one, (laughs) (laughs) hang in there. there. (laughs) You know, email is an amazing community of people that all help each other. Yes. And, you know, there's lots of different groups on lots of different types of platforms and channels, actually, yeah. um, you know, that are there to support each other. So if you find yourself that you're in a situation where you just you don't know where to turn or, or what that conversation needs to be, then there's people to help. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, I think to really to, to really try and understand what what the business objectives are mm-hmm. and 
how email can help support those. So translating those business objectives into email marketing objectives mm -hmm. is a really good starting point because then you can start to have that conversation of, okay, this is what we've delivered. If you find that actually the business objectives aren't that clear, mm. then that's that opens up another conversation and actually would be important for the rest of the marketing department to right. understand that as well. Right. Um, but also speaking to the rest of your, your teams, if you have somebody who might be responsible for paid search or paid social, for example, mm -hmm. you know, speaking to them as well and talking about their reporting, what are they looking at? Because, you know, someone who's managing PPC is going to be looking at cost per acquisition. They're yeah. going to be looking at a lot more numbers in terms of monetary numbers than we yeah. probably are in email. Yeah. And there'll be some insights from them that you'll be able to glean and put into your email marketing and vice versa. Yeah. They'll be able to help you get get that type of format and structure into your email reporting. And you're talking about the same customers in the long run, <laughs> so yeah. you should right. You should be working working together uh, as much as possible. Yeah, and hopefully you already are. But there are still instances <laughs> where there's lots of silos. Oh yeah, Pl <laughs> unfortunately, plenty, plenty. There was a I can't remember if it's from that book, but there was a there's a, a business book that was popular like 20 years ago. Uh, Harvey McKay. How to swim with the sharks without being eaten alive, <laughs> and it, it may have been McKay who said your receptionist is actually your uh, VP of first impressions, and this is back in the physical office days, right? Email marketing team is in a mighty, mighty critical position in terms of your long-term relationship with your market, right? If if, yeah. if they're not paying attention to that, or if they're being pushed to just burn through it right not good yeah it's really interesting that you make that point actually because uh we've had this conversation with quite a few clients when you compare what an email market what a, an email subscriber's perception would be of a brand based yeah. on what they're receiving in comparison yeah. to what they might be seeing on social or on your website right if emails being used as just a sales channel all the time well you're going to look like you're a discount Mm -hmm. You're always on discount. You're always mm -hmm. having an offer. Whereas on your website, you might not talk at all about offers. It might be completely hidden. And so that, you know, that perception is completely different. Yeah. Completely different. And it's interesting that quite a lot of businesses don't actually even think about that. Yeah. They don't think about that perception that an email, mark, an email recipient might have in comparison to a website visitor who, really who may point. not be an email subscriber. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's like if, you don't, if you're not taking that sort of chief, chief customer officer view of the whole and just treating it as a turn and burn channel, ouch. There's, I've, I've probably been guilty of, of bringing, this, <laughs> bringing this story up more than once, but there's an outdoor retailer in the U.S. that I've bought thousands of dollars worth of stuff from over the over a decade and i'm on their email list because they have the kind of stuff i like their prices are fantastic blah 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 they still don't know me from adam they still send me stuff that's completely irrelevant i'm like what do i have to do <laughs> to get you to narrow it down and go oh yeah he always gets that that did that like my categories are very very well established somewhere in there data set but they're completely oblivious to them and i put up with it 
for whatever reason, but I'm thinking <laughs> missed opportunity, real big missed opportunity. Yeah, massively. There probably is a challenge with data there. I think yeah, it's still, yeah, yeah. you know, having systems talking to each other, being able to crunch the numbers and actually connect the dots is yeah. still a massive challenge. For yeah, some yeah. We think we think we've we think we've gotten oh so far along in the in the world of you know data with our data warehouses and whatnot. It's like still some poor some poor guy trying to work through a SQL query going, oh, I'll never get this done, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but then that's, you know, that's where the likes of having AI, machine learning, and, and using those as, as email marketing assistants or marketing assistants can really solve that problem. You know, I, I, I hesitate to bring them up because it's not my favorite company in the world. But when you look, when you look at the data job that Facebook does, that you know, I I don't log into Facebook, but if I did, it would be a unique experience, all built around me instantaneously for that moment in time. It's like, wow, they're doing that with billions of people, and we're all sitting here caterwauling about what we can do with you know a list of a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or something like that. Hmm, that's a little embarrassing, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I think there's rumors about Facebook trying to get into the email field, isn't there? Let's hope not. I'm yeah. happy. I'm happy to help discourage that in in my own humble way. It, yeah, I mean it's yeah, it is. Uh, it's a very sophisticated way of how they've created that. It really, uh, it shows the potential. It shows that they're well put. Yeah, that's it. It shows it shows the potential. You know, we're not we're not we're not near doing that, even with the absolute best case. You know, email platforms. I don't think we're even near that that level of of granularity and performance and sophistication could be will be maybe but we're not we're not there yet and i think we may have to think a bit differently to get there yeah it's going to be interesting how cookies um yeah you know all of that side of things changes that yeah death of the third party cookie flock are you an iphone or an android user iphone yeah, me, me, me as well. You know, a little pop up saying, "Do you want this app to do?" I'm like, "No, <laughs> no." Well, is that, yeah, no, what's no. the value in me doing that? I know right. exactly, and that it's going to be an interesting space to see that what happens there because I've seen it. I think the majority of people are declining. I think so too. Yeah, I think, so. I think so too. And uh, it's it's probably long overdue. It, it's you know the unanticipated ragged edge of the digital frontier turns out to be our privacy and now we're starting to we're lagging in the u.s for sure but we're starting to you know get there on a on a global scale and some of the companies that benefited from the fuzziness of that are going to take a shot on the chin which i'm I'm fine with (laughs) it's like it's my data not yours yeah it's interesting what the general public's feeling is on on privacy and how much they're willing to give away what do you think unknowingly so i think has probably been the case yeah it's just it's just amazing that when you mentioned facebook there on on the how many breaches and you know privacy concerns have been raised yeah they still have millions of people logging billions yeah you're absolutely right yeah we're voluntarily going my, my my best friend in the world is a 
he's he spends way too much time on Facebook of like, <laughs> do you realize? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How much every one of those post this, do that, like, oh man, do they have your number? Yeah, he'll buy a golf club, no problem. Just do that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that's and that fascinates me as well. I'm not a Facebook user mm. and I'm debating about WhatsApp because they've changed the rules on that as well. Right. Aggressively changed the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to opt into out. this or we'll cut your account off eventually, right? Well, supposedly, but I don't know if they're actually allowed to do that. I think it's still being debated in Europe in terms Good. of whether or not they can really enforce it. Yeah. yeah. So I have the pop up every time I go in, but I still haven't accepted. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. But um, I know, but it's like, do you, you know, my, my own personal experience there is, okay, I'm not happy about it mm -hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And if I if I take myself out of this and I'm no longer part of WhatsApp, am I then going to lose all those connections that I've got in there? Yeah, yeah. So viable question. That's then the trade-off. Yeah, yeah. Very very viable question, and uh, not like there's a guidebook for the decision. <laughs> right? You've got no. millions and billions of people kind of going. Why do I keep getting asked this question? And with a long contract, I don't know. Yes, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, companies like Apple being in control of that, where, where Apple controls that dialogue for apps now. And it's specific in what it says and how it says it. Like, in some ways, helpful. But if you start looking at the fine print, it leaves them in one heck of a position as an advertiser. So it's not 100%. Yeah, I know. And that's... Should they be the gatekeeper? Should they be the gatekeeper? Yeah, yeah. Should it yeah. not be an independent organization? I think the challenge is that there is you, yeah. there is no independent. There is no independent. Yeah, yeah. Who watches the watcher? We, we and and uh, there's a there's a writer named Ben Thompson who I'm a huge fan of. I Stratechery, fantastic newsletter. I subscribe. I pay happily. Go Ben. Um, but he said, you, you know, if, if we're going to, he was talking in terms of fact, not in terms of privacy, but let's put them in the same terrain for a minute. He said, if, if we're going to run the experiment of saying someone's, you know, someone's in charge of fact and truth, that experiment's already being run, country called China. Do you want to do that? <laughs> yes. It's very, right. It's a very, it's a very different way of looking at things and it may not suit who, you know, who we want to define ourselves as being in our different nations, but for sure, handing it over to private companies is think we're reading reaching i think we're reaching a wait a minute is that a good idea eh, kind of end point for that yeah that and is. china's really interesting that my husband travels there or was traveling there a lot oh, with really? work yeah and yeah it's amazing the extent that people will go to to be able to use the likes of gmail right the likes of facebook yeah um and email is not that popular no it's not a given it's it's all yeah. WeChat, yeah, yeah. And the definitely. rules on on WeChat is unbelievable for authentication, yeah, and checking you are who you say you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, really, it's quite amazing. But it's it's also amazing to see human behavior try to go outside of those rules and have different <laughs> VPNs and, and all of that going on. And they've actually blocked different VPN companies. Yes. To stop people yes. from going outside the rules. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's. It's um, completely different. Yeah, well, that that would be that would be one heck of a seminar discussion to, to get a group to tackle that. But to be intellectually fair, I'd want to have someone who you know lives inside 
that's that system, that nation, that culture say, no, here's why I'm, you know, here's why I'm part of this. Here's what I think is beneficial uh, about it. Cause I'm going to be on the other side going, Oh, no way could I stand that. But that's me. <laughs> right. Yeah. You. Uh, but we've known no different as well. We no different. So. Yeah. 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 We really yeah. have. Yeah. It's a, we've it's a big more freedom vote. in that respect for we those do. types of areas. You know, I knew this was going to happen. I'm like, Jenna and I are going to chew up way more than half an hour. And, and I'd, I'd apologize, except it's been so darn much, much fun. Yeah, it has been great talking to you. And learn from, learn from you as well. Um, So we should probably wrap it up and let you get on with your evening there in Lisbon uh, land, land of wonderful wines. I had a friend who was a Portuguese wine importer. I'm like, Ooh, that's very, very good stuff there. Really good wine. Yeah. Really good wines. Um, So, so, We'll wrap it up there. My guest has been Jenna Tiffany, and you can find her book, Marketing Strategy, on Amazon, at least, in both the UK and the US. Any other any other places someone might go look for that because we don't want to just push business to another monopoly. <laughs> yeah, it's available in all good bookstores. In the States, it's in Target, Walmart, everywhere. And you did a hardback version as well, I noticed, um, on the listing. Yeah, so it's Kindle, um, paperback, and a hardback. In a hardback, uh, that's I I I I love hardbacks. I'm increasingly hoarding them because because they last and they feel great. And like we were talking about, you finish them more and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm gonna get the hard I'm gonna get the hardback version of yours your book, and then someday I'll get you to autograph it live. Jenna, yeah, thank you so much for the time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And you, thanks so much for having me. Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to The Future of Email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it and, of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag future of email. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show and they mean a ton to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash future of email or Follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.